Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Anything you want to share with us this morning? I don't know if anyone has been up to the accident in emergency department at Cork University Hospital or do you have a loved one in Cork University Hospital at the moment? I mean, we were talking about it yesterday when we became aware that on Monday evening at 6pm, a poster went up on the the door. I'm assuming it was the door leading into the accident emergency. Maybe they had it in various places dotted around the emergency uh, department with this status black, uh, meaning that the emergency department, you could, they were experiencing extreme congestion. Uh, the poster went up at six o'clock on Monday. As far as we know, it's still up. We've nothing led to believe that the status black has been removed. It's telling people that if you are going to the A&E department, you'll have on average 12 hour waiting list longer if you're there uh, overnight and the back the black escalation status means the hospital now this is according to HSE guidelines it means the hospital is in a critical position and is clinically unsafe isn't that really worrying? And that's coming from the HSE guidelines themselves. And then, of course, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, they yesterday released their trolley figures and we were told 70 patients on trolleys in CUH, which I have to say is only 70 is just way too many. But it's only two ahead of University Hospital Limerick, which is another one of the hospitals. They almost compete for who's on top for the most people on uh, trolleys. But they didn't have a status black. It's only seemed to be CUH and as we discovered yesterday, we've never heard it happen before at the hospital. But we give it out and we warn you again, unless you are you have no other choice because of your medical condition or your loved one's medical condition, avoid Cork University Hospital at the moment. I mean you, the advice from the HSE remains the same to go to your GP, go to one of the injury uh, units to some of the city in the county. We have it in Mallow and in Bantry. They suggest going to your private hospital if you have private uh, health uh, care and they continue to apologise for the situation. But I just think it's worrying to say to see that according to the HSE guidelines, when a hospital raises its escalation status to a black status. It means it's in a critical position and clinically unsafe. That 
doesn't, wouldn't put much confidence in people who need to go to the A&E or people who've got loved ones in the hospital. Michael makes an interesting point on the A&E. The A&E has now become the grand entrance hall to all hospitals. If you have a cough or a cold or a leg or an arm hanging off, you are sent to the accident and emergency department. Hence, we have created a monster there. You no longer go in through the main door. However, the main cause of the traffic build-up within the A&E lies inside the hospital with the outflow. Those who are ready and not moving on quickly enough because of step-down facilities and isn't nursing home beds, now there isn't home care packages put in place for a loved one to go home. I'm sure uh, the Dr John Sheen is also a counsellor in, in the city. I saw him, I read on one of the papers this morning, he was making almost a similar point that we're not getting people discharged quickly enough or when people are ready for discharge there's no step down facilities for them and that's causing additional problems at the hospital. Now, uh, yeah, And of course it does have a knock on effect to the 70 patients on the trolleys at CUH because the 70 patients on the trolleys are the patients that need beds and if you have somebody in a bed who needs to be moved on and there isn't a place for them to go there isn't a suitable nursing home uh, there isn't a respite bed for them to go to they maybe want to go home but there isn't a home care package put in place so that bed then is tied up even though that person is no longer in need of an acute bed but that person has to remain in the bed. They're not going to turf somebody out on the side of the street. But the knock-on effect then goes down the chain and it goes down to the A&E where some other poor dear uh, or poor soul is lying on a trolley and is in need of that acute bed but just can't get it. 1850 Your thoughts, please, on what is going on at... Cork University Hospital with their status uh, black. Also on the programme this morning, we are going to be talking about weddings. We have a wedding expert join us. This is the follow on. Uh, We decided to do this uh, following yesterday's programme because yesterday's programme, we were talking about wedding presents and how much do you give for a wedding present. And we have a really good piece from Australia that we will be playing out for you later on because it went viral over the weekend and it's a piece about a bride who contacted a guest afterwards to say you didn't give enough (laughs) we want to find out the question could that and would that ever happen in Ireland you might have a bride maybe even a groom bitching later on saying wasn't Auntie Sally so mean look this is all she gave me kind of thing but I don't know if anyone would approach Auntie Sally and say well you mean old yoke you need to give us more money because it cost more for us to bring you and have you there at the day I mean there's a price per head of how much it costs you know for every guest but I don't think any bride I well, no, maybe I'm wrong maybe it has happened in this country so anyway we've decided to invite a wedding expert um, just to look around the whole etiquette of giving wedding gifts gifts, because we then got him a text from a listener uh, saying really enjoying the show thank you for that I'm going to a family wedding in May what's the going rate for wedding gifts for 2019 please my children who are also adults are also going and they're asking what should they give they're obviously going as first cousins what do you give at a cousin's wedding I don't know what to answer them. Some of them, by the way, have partners. So there'll be two people going to, two of the first cousins going to the wedding. You know, the first cousin and the first cousin's husband are a wife. As an aunt, I simply don't know what to give from a worried wedding guest who's an aunt. Now, see, is it different 
when it's a family member. You know, I was thinking like my godchild got married last year and I was, I gave a more generous present than I would have given if she wasn't my godchild. So do you give more than when it's, you know, if it's your sister's child, your brother's child, it's your niece, it's your nephew. Do you give more of that? And then what happens with all the first cousins? Some families are great about that if they have very, and some families have very close bonds with their first cousins. And in many cases, first cousins can be almost like brothers and sisters who've all grown up together. So if you're bringing all your cousins along, and I know I might, I'll ask John Paul when I get, 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 when I get a chance when he's off the phones, because John Paul has been at a lot of weddings and he's been at a lot of weddings of his cousins. So I don't know, does he treat the present dif- differently then? Could you do a family present, I wonder? Do you know if the aunt is going along with two or three of their sons and daughters? Or does that seem mean if anybody chips in? See, back in the day when you could buy a present, you could all chip in and maybe buy, you know, buy some, buy one of the bigger items that you would need for the kitchen, for example. You know, some of the white goods. But I, I suppose that day is gone as well. So we're going to discuss that as well about wedding gifts and is the whole thing of wedding gifts gone. And, and do you remember there was a time where there was a wedding, there was a gift list and you would you might be in a particular shop and you could go in and you could see the list and you could see who'd bought what and you just, you would pay for whatever item you wanted to give and then it was shipped uh, to the person. They were popular at one stage. I don't know if they're gone completely. So we'll also use the opportunity if you have a question around the etiquette of a, for a wedding get it into us please while we have the we'll pick the brain of our wedding expert a little bit later on on the programme today. Now I'm also going to speak with a schoolboy referee who is talking and has come out publicly to talk about the abuse he is receiving on the pitch during matches. Now can I say that sentence again? It's a schoolboy referee. If it was adults playing it's bad enough and, and no, nobody should be abusing the referee. But this is at schoolboy level. So we're talking what? Under 17s, under 16s, under 15s, under 14s, younger perhaps. I don't know. It got so bad last weekend that this young, and he's a young referee, he's only a 20 year old. This referee, the abuse got so bad, he decided he just, he obviously didn't feel safe on the pitch. So he decided that's it, that's it. And he stopped the match, completely stopped the match and walked off and said, forget it. Now, he is calling on the powers that be, the powers that be in this case, the FAI, because it's soccer. He's calling on them to say they need to do something. Something needs to be done because the danger is, I mean, if this young referee is experiencing it, he's not the only one. You can assume all referees at that level are experiencing the same kind of abuse and it isn't that isolated. If people are going to give up refereeing and why would you continue if you know on a Saturday or a Sunday, you know, you're giving up your afternoon to go out to promote a sport that you obviously love, to try to encourage young people to be the best that they can be at their sport. And all you're getting is abuse. I'd be gone for the hills ages ago. And of course, the danger is that if you don't have enough referees, then the the schoolboy league system will simply fall apart because you can't have a match without a referee. So we're going to talk about that. And if anybody has solutions or if anybody has stories on that, why do people think it's okay, both on the pitch and off the pitch, to abuse the the referee and the people on the sidelines? You know, it's schoolboy, so it's you're going to have parents turning up encouraging their sons and daughters is it just boys schoolboys it's just boys uh, but encouraging their sons to do well 
and I know at GAA matches it can get a bit out of hand what is it with you know there is that we've coined that phrase before this, you know the mad soccer mom who's on the side of the pitch and roaring and screaming we have it in the GAA I don't know do we have it in rugby is it in all sports even though if you watch a rugby match versus a soccer match or a GAA match the respect level for referees at rugby is completely different isn't it it's, that's not just my imagination there's a huge amount of respect when a referee on a rugby pitch says something, that's it. You don't seem to get, you get respect level in soccer and in GAA, but not to the same level that they seem to have managed to coin in rugby. I don't know why that is the case. Anyway, schoolboy referees, referees and under 18 matches, if you have a story to share with us, are a solution, 1850-333-103. We're going to talk about litter wardens and what we can do to try to stop littering and dog fouling. We're going to look at dog fouling. There has been a suggestion that we could, that the litter wardens could use body cams. And obviously if they're walking around with body cams on, recording everything that they're seeing, they could be used then in evidence in court against somebody. And in particular, it's hoped that the body cams worn by litter wardens could help to stop with dog fouling. We, I don't know if we will ever see an end to dog fouling it's probably one of the most disgusting forms of litter if you're bringing your dog for a walk will you bring your little plastic bags with you please and please clean up after your dog uh, we're also going to hear about a fundraiser for Brew Columbanus well it's not a fundraiser actually well it is it is raising funds it is a new charity shop they've had a charity shop in Skull think for about three years now and at the end of last week they decided to move to bigger premises so we're going to find out a little bit more about the shop what it means to move to the larger premises but also it's an opportunity to talk about Brew Columbanus because Brew Columbanus it's one of those charities that unless you've used their services or you have a family member or a friend who has used their services most people do not have a clue what or who Brew Columbanus uh, are and it's the home from home service free service that is in Cork City if you are from the county or further afield from anywhere I suppose across Munster and you have a loved one a very very ill loved one in any of the Cork hospitals are attending Marymount Hospice there is a facility called Brew Columbanus where you can stay they're like apartments little apartments it's, it's in Wilton's almost opposite uh, CUH and you get referred there you can't sort of rock up to the door and knock and say I have somebody in, ho- in hospital there can I stay you get referred so, so I think the way the referral is done is, is very clever because the hospitals will know the people who most need to be, sit- to be staying so you don't have to worry about either trying to find accommodation in the city and the costs that will be involved in that or you don't have to worry about driving home and driving back up again and you want to be near your loved one particularly if somebody is you know very critically ill you want to be there and want to be very close to the hospital in case you know you get a call in the middle of the night for example so Brew Colin Bannis wonderful wonderful charity but as I say unless you've used the facilities or you've had 
a family member or a close friend use the facilities, you don't know how important it is. So anything we can do to support the great work, always happy to do. So we'll talk about their charity shop today and a little bit more about the service that they provide. It is Wednesday. So Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com will join us answering all of your gardening questions. You can get gardening questions in throughout the morning. And dog fouling, a listener says, Patricia, in County Limerick, there are bins in every town for the collection of dog poo. Why are they not in County Cork? Well, there are. I've, I've passed some of those bins. Maybe there's just not enough. Maybe that is the problem. It still doesn't mean, it still is not an excuse not to clean up after your dog. And I know what you're saying, if there are not enough bins and you clean up, you don't want to be walking around if you're going on a long walk with a bag of poo in your hand or in your pocket. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But just hold on to it. You will eventually uh, find a bin. And some of your reaction on University uh, CUH and this status black, which means extreme congestion at the A&E department. Patricia, where does Minister Simon Harris stand on this hospital and code black for CUH? Surely he should be there on the ground and uh, in the room. Yeah. And what would he do? I mean, he would just stand there. Would he be able to do anything? I'm assuming he's got his officials frantically trying to work to get it sorted, bringing him down himself. Would that help? Would others agree with that? That that's where the minister is, the minister for health. And when the status black has been put in place for the first time at an A&E department at Cork University Hospital, should the minister be out front, up front and at the hospital? As to say, he can't, he's not a doctor, he can't physically help out. But one wonders, would he be able to help in any way? Do others think that's what Minister Simon Harris should do? He should be in the car heading to CUH. Somebody else says, give them a blank cheque. I don't even know if that's the answer. I really don't know if it's if it goes back to funding because every time the health budget runs over, they get a supplementary budget. So I don't really think a blank cheque is the answer. And John makes an interesting and a worrying point. What if there was a disaster in Cork? Particularly yesterday when we're hearing status black, people being told that by HSE guidelines, the hospital's in a critical position, it's clinically unsafe. We had, according to the IN, the INMO, 70 patients on trolleys. We heard at one stage there was 80, eight, 80, eight ambulances stuck at CUH because they had patients on board and they couldn't get away. And John says, imagine in the middle of all of that, if God forbid there was some kind of a major disaster. Luckily, there wasn't, but you do raise a good and a valid point, uh, John. Thank you for that to 0862103103. And just a quick mention to a text that we got in on Monday from a listener who asked us if we could make inquiries and wanted to highlight the filter light on the traffic lights adjacent to the Bridge House Bar in Mallow. The listener said they're not working and it, it's a nightmare for people who want to turn right from Kilavollan. So it's people come from Kilavollan, they come down, they get to the traffic lights at the Bridge House. Traffic lights go green for you to go over, you know, forward and back. But if you want to wait and then turn right, you've got to wait for the flow of traffic. Normally there's a filter light. According to this list, the filter light is not working. We passed that query on to Cork County Council who have got back to us to say they have forwarded it on to the Council's Traffic Light Maintenance 
contractor for investigation and rectification if required and they'll liaise and get back to us. So we're, we're on the case and Cork County Council are on the case and their traffic light maintenance contractor is on the case. We will get back to you. Now a school boy soccer referee has highlighted the level of abuse he suffers on a weekly basis and has called on the management of the FAI to take action and to take action urgently. Harry McGann is an official in the Kildare Underage League and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Harry. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, last weekend, you were actually forced to abandon a match. Can you outline what happened and what led you to abandoning the match? Yeah, sure. So I suppose I, I have to try to be as, as vague as I can on the specifics. But what, what basically happened is that the ball went out of play and then um, from there there was a throw-in and anyone's familiar with the games, you know, you need to have two feet behind the line when you're taking the throw-in and anyways, there was a claim from management that one of the players was standing on the pitch while he took the throw-in. Now, this is quite an insignificant thing in a football game, you know, it happens all the time. It didn't lead to a goal, it didn't lead to anything too serious and from there management became abusive, um, aggressive, walked onto the pitch and then eventually all hell broke loose when I asked them to leave for being abusive and uh, eventually the game had to be abandoned due to the fact that they wouldn't leave and from there players, management, spectators, everybody became quite aggressive and quite abusive. And we are talking under age, what are we talking, under 16, under 15? Under 15, so the kids would have been about 14 to 15 years old. And you've been, now you're only 20 but you've been refereeing I'm told since you're about 15. Yeah, yeah, since I was about 15, 16, I've been refereeing um, underage football. Um, it's something my brothers both done, I have two older brothers, something my grandfather done for League of Ireland, so it's something family we, we've done quite often. Is this level of abuse a new phenomena, or has it been going on for years? It's, it's been going on for years. I think it's slowly but surely getting worse, because there seems to be a certain amount of exceptions around it recently, um, which sounds crazy, but it's something that there's just been no stamp down on, um, and I think it's I know myself as a set of a brother who referees weekly and we call each other on, at the, on an evening on a Saturday and we'll discuss you know, the different abuse that we received or what we sent players off for and you'd be shocked if you heard some of the stories that we have week in, week out and it was only this week that the game was abandoned but I think it was more of a bigger deal because it was down to purely abuse. And would you, are you fearful that you'll be physically attacked? Yeah, I am and I, I do like... I can't say that every week and it's the odd occasion but on Saturday I was I was fearful that this situation would escalate especially considering that two spectators did threaten to meet me in a car park after the game um, and as I've said before you know they're not asking to meet you to shake your hand and say well done um, so it's a serious like and that's a serious threat and it's something that you know I'm quite worried about considering the fact that there was an assault recently enough on a referee um, in the FAI and it's something that you know is very possible considering how aggressive people get on the sideline during kids football I'm baffled it's kids football it's It's children enjoying themselves I mean I I read in the uh, because obviously we picked this piece up from the paper and and I read in the paper of a 14 year old physically squaring up to you yeah so when I sent a 14 year old I sent him off 
for a comment that he made and it's been quite well publicised this week in, in the media and it's something I can't repeat and I wouldn't repeat but it was an awful, awful comment and he made it towards me and I went back and I, I sent him off for it and when I sent him off for it he became quite aggressive and he had to be, it had to be held back he was that he was that furious and that aggressive, um, which is which is crazy to think. And the funniest part about it all was when I sent the fourteen year old off for making the comment that he made. The parents were more annoyed that I sent them off ah. than they were at him for saying the comment. Yeah, and the, he said it in front of everybody else as loud as could be. So the soccer moms and dads are are out there. Um, one of our listeners says, "My son did some refereeing while he was in secondary school and enjoyed it. He enjoyed it as well as making a little bit of pocket money for himself. His matches were mainly under eight and under twelves." The abuse he got from the sideline was unreal. He often had to stop the match when a mother would come onto the pitch and threaten him. He ended up giving it up as a result. Under eights and under twelves. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I, under twelves is the worst age group, I think, for overall. Believe it or not, the younger the kids are, the worse the parents seem to be. Um, and I think it's because there tends to be more parents on the sideline. But it's it's crazy the amount of abuse and threats that you receive and it's from people and, and the worst part about it is the sidelines tend to be full of people and there tends to be a lot of silent bystanders who just allow this to happen and I think that's the worst part about it is that their kids are on the pitch but they're happy enough for parents and, and other adults to, to throw this abuse at referees and referees are often quite young as you said it's not uncommon for a 16 or a 17 year old to be a referee in the league it's very very common here and it's something that, you know, it's adults abusing children who are trying to make sure that other children have a, a good game and an enjoyable game. Yeah, you, you're right there as well. It's it's going to take other, particularly when the abuse coming in from the sideline, it's going to take other parents and other coaches to stand up and say stop. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just common decency. I think, you know, people need to say, you know what, if somebody's standing there on the sideline and the person beside you is abusing an official or whatever it may be, turn around to them and say, you know what, this is a kid's game, this is children's sports, you need to keep it shut. You know, I'm not happy for this to happen. The same as would if, you know, if somebody was on the sideline and your child was being abused, you wouldn't allow that to happen. I don't think you should allow a stranger to be abused on the pitch either. Because at the end of the day, that stranger is somebody there to help make sure that your child is safe, protected and has an enjoyable game. They're there to do nothing else. That's what their jobs are. But I'm thinking about the, the under eights and the under twelves. If you've got parents shouting and screaming from the sideline, and you know, and a mother coming on and nearly, you know, squaring up to a young schoolboy ref, what example is that giving to the children? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't understand why people what people think it achieves, and you know, I've had parents giving it out to me before for the fact that. I, I, a young lad or a young girl will come up to me and go, can you tie my lace? And I'll stop the game and I'll tie their lace for them. <laughs> and apparently that shows bias. And, you know, I'd laugh at that because, you know, some, some kids can't tie their laces. They're, yeah, young, they're yeah. quite young. You'll tie their lace and apparently that shows bias towards the other team. Oh, for God's and, sake, get a, time, uh, get a life. And, and you see, I find that there's an issue with that, but there's no issue with somebody coming onto a pitch and squaring up for some reason. You know, it's 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 the simple thing, and I just I don't understand what people think they achieve um, by doing it, and all it's doing is ruining the game and it's discouraging children from taking part in sports because they don't want to hear that, they don't want to be involved in that, they want to keep fit, healthy, and have a good time. And it's this is more than just parents being enthusiastic, is it? Yeah, it's a different level. I think it's parents just being 
yeah, very aggressive, like very aggressive, and it's it's a different level. Like I said, there's some of the stuff that I've been called in recent months and recent years that I I really can't repeat on radio, but I generally wouldn't repeat in person. Um, like really horrible, horrible, nasty personal comments. It's not just decisions; it's personal comments, and I think that's what's the worst part about this is that it's a different level of abuse that should not be anywhere in society, never mind on the sideline of a football pitch. Yeah, I can see a lot. A lot of people are are saying yeah that they're identifying with this and know exactly what you're talking about. Kieran says it was at an underage match. Um, they were the young people were around fifteen, sixteen, males and females, and I'm assuming these are the parents roaring abuse at the referee and the other players on the pitch. It continued for most of the game. At one stage, I turned around to the people close to me and said, "Would you ever calm down? They're just young people trying to enjoy themselves." They then when mental at me I try to explain that they're just young people out enjoying uh, a match I can't understand why some of the parents got so worked up roaring and uh, screaming that's not support that's abuse that's a good point that's it yeah, it's, it, is. It's, it's, it is it is abuse okay you think the FAI should do something about it what, what do you believe Harry they can do I think there should be a zero tolerance approach to it. I think that people who are going to be abusing referees on sidelines shouldn't get a second opportunity. Um, and I don't understand why people seem to think that it's okay for it to happen, to go to slap in the hand and say, don't do it again. I think if people are going to be abusing officials on the sideline or kids on the sideline, they need to be told that they're not welcome back. There needs to be a zero tolerance approach to this. And uh, that a few months back, as I said, there was a referee assaulted and the people who assaulted him received a 40-year ban between them. And I'm going, I don't understand why there's a time put on this because if somebody's going to assault somebody in a football pitch, they should never be allowed back on the side of a football pitch. And I think it's the idea that, you know, you'll get a slap in the hand so it's okay to do it is, is wrong. I think the FAI needs to take a zero tolerance approach to this and say it will not be accepted. It's not going to happen. And if it does, you won't be welcome back. And the clubs need to see serious fines for it happening as well. You know, it hit them where it hurts, which is their pockets. And it's unfortunate because the money should go towards improving the game for the kids. But people will eventually learn that if they're going to stand on the sideline and abuse somebody, it won't be accepted and it will hurt the kids and it will affect the game. A listener says, hi Patricia, I wonder does your referee, our referee by the way is, is Harry McGann from the Kildare Underage uh, League, uh, does he envy the control and respect of rugby referees? Yes. Yes, yeah. I do. I, I seriously envy it. And I've had a lot of people ask me this week why I don't referee rugby instead. And it's purely because I have a love for the game that I referee. But I do. I'm very envious of the fact that a referee can go onto a pitch and receive zero abuse and have zero abuse from the sideline. Um, I think it's the right way. And it shouldn't be something I should be envious of. It should be something that happens standard. But it yeah, doesn't. Absolutely. All right. Listen, Harry, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Thank you for that. No problem. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is a young ref, uh, Harry McGann, Donna says, I'm slow to continue to encourage my son or daughter to play G-A-A-R soccer because of the sideline roaring, roarers as I call them, the parents. Uh, I'm thinking of getting them involved in different sports as people have no respect for others anymore. They just roar abuse at the players and at the referees. And someone says, Patricia, you should have teachers on and ask them about the abuse they put up with every day from young children and their parents. It is how people behave now 
which is a real shame. Actually, somebody else has something similar. Darren has, says it's not just on the pitch. I work in, in a department store, a large department store, and the abuse you get from the public for the smallest issue, even if there's a queue at a till, People will just abuse the staff if they're not happy about something. Yes, there's no need to get personal or abuse staff. My mates work in hotels. They say the same thing. It seems people think they can talk to other people any way they wish. Have we become a more almost a violent, abusive society? Is it the sign of the times? If it is, goodness me, uh, that would worry me and sadden me deeply. If you're in Mallow area this morning, by the way, uh, don't forget to pop into the Cope Centre in Quartertown and please support their Flowers of Hope coffee morning. That's going on until 12 noon today. That's the Flowers of Hope coffee morning, Cope Centre in Quartertown until 12 today. Best of luck to everybody there. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Body cams and talking waste bins are two of the suggestions being considered by Cork County Council in order to crack down on littering and dog fouling. West Cork Councillor Danny Collins uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Danny. Morning, and uh, I'm very well, and you're welcome. Now, you were the one to suggest talking bins. I believe you've seen them in use in Longford. Can you explain how these work? Well, sorry, yes. Well, it's actually rust common that they're in, in use at the moment. I, I didn't witness it myself. But um, look, basically, they're audio devices at bring sites and recycling centres okay. that are open to the public. And these um, audio devices, they play a recording which um, activates when a person approaches a bottle bank. So um, basically, look, what I was saying, if they could use it as a pilot scheme here in Bantry, because we have a lot of problems here in Bentry down at our recycling or bottle recycling area down at Harbourview where a lot of people come and if the bins are full they leave the, the bottles on the ground and I also they dump their household rubbish which it, it isn't an area for so basically I was asking them to roll it out here as a pilot scheme and see how it works Do you know are they expensive? I haven't got any costings on them um, basically look you know this, you know, the way they work, really, I'll tell you how they work. Is when you approach it, approach the area, they say um, something like, thank you for recycling. Please leave, don't leave any litter or cardboard on the ground. And if the, bun, if the bins are free. So, like, basically, you know, it's something like if you're going into CUH in, in Cork. Yeah. You know, you're going in and there's, there's a, um, an audio device saying, um, please don't smoke in the area. Like it this, this is an old, this is an old smoking campus. Please don't yeah. smoke. Yeah. yeah. Even though I have to say that that doesn't always work for everyone, no. but it does. But but yeah, I think that you know the fact that people get the message, it might just work with some people. The people you and and hopefully you'll target enough people not to leave their rubbish behind. But we do have an issue with that, Danny, with the bring sites, with people deciding they go to the bother of recycling, and then when they get there. Because the bottle bank is full, they leave everything. That's it, and basically that's what what, what this device will be saying. Like, to please bring it home if it is full. Yeah, um, supposedly, tidy towns committees. I've read an article on, on the newspaper from Roscommon. Um, that what uh, tidy town committees where it was installed say there was a massive improvement. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, anything, like, anything is worth trying. Yeah, and I, I did, I did speak to the, the company that do um, install these, and they have been asked. Bringing more in in um, Roscommon Council. So 
så basically look, it must be it must be work. They must so work, that, yeah, yeah. So basically, what you know, that's what I would be hoping. Bring it, roll it out here in a pilot scheme here in Bantry because we do have a lot of problems here and Clare Play, our Tidy Towns committee here and plus other volunteers um, come along. I've seen a gentleman down there about a month ago and on a Sunday afternoon and he's just cleaning up the place all his own time, like, you know what I mean? So basically, look, this, if it was rolled out here, we see how it works, and we go from then. And then it could be rolled. It could be rolled out uh, further. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the tidy towns uh, groups because I've just seen a comment in from a listener saying, "Patricia, you're talking about litter today on the program. How much worse would our towns be if we didn't have the great volunteers who work under the banner of tidy I, town groups?" I totally agree with you, Patricia. Yesterday evening, I saw around Bantry. There was that must have been ten or fifteen of the um the Bantry Tidy Towns Committee out. And now like I must say I, and yesterday was just freezing cold and the weather wasn't too good but fair for airplay to them. They were planting shrubs and cleaning up, doing a bit of brushing. Like it's and it's, it's not Bantry alone, like it's it's in every town and village around West Cork and it's great to see. And then the other the other suggestion was was body cams. This is to this is because it's hard, isn't it, to prosecute dog owners who don't clean up after their dogs. It's hard to prove who's done and who hasn't done it. Well, but uh, funny you should say that now because I was speaking to a lady this morning who taught me. She was um, she approached a lady there in the last couple of weeks who was walking her dog, and her dog food, and basically she um, asked the lady said it's terrible. You can't you know it was on the footpath. And you won't just walked away from her and gave her no satisfaction. I know there's people out there, fair play, what you got to do, do take around bags with them, but there's a lot of people out there that don't. And plus, you must think of dogs that are wandering the streets, you know. Yeah, yeah, who, are, who, are, who, who should be under control. Someone earlier, when I mentioned you were coming on, saying that we don't have enough uh, bins for people to place the dog poo in. Do, does that need to be looked at? Yes, um, we. It's. Um, an issue really, what you call that has been brought up at council level. Like, um, I do know, like, you know, some, you know, the, the bins themselves, not the, the, the dog poo bins, but the ordinary bins, a lot of them have been removed from towns because of, you know, um, illegal dumping again of household um, awesome. Yeah. But um, basically, look, this has to be looked at because, look, <laughs> otherwise, what's going to happen when the pe- if a person picks up a, um, their, the dog poo and in a bag? Just going to be trolling over the wall. I, I, my own reckon. Anyway, so uh, this this has to be looked at, and it was, it was brought up a number of months ago at uh, council level. Your suggestion for the audible devices is welcomed by a number of people, but Jerry in Mitchellstown says, could you use those audible devices for street bins to try to stop people from throwing domestic rubbish into their street bins? I see it going on all the time, says Jerry in Mitchellstown. I mean, that's the point you made. Some bins have been removed. Now, there are still some bins there, but it's, it's, isn't it, it's hard to stop people who want to avoid paying for their rubbish. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's mind-boggling at times. You, you travel roads there, you know, maybe white roads and whatnot, and you see rubbish just dumped at the side of the road. Like, you know, do people care about our environment? That's what you have to ask, like. And basically, look, you know, and there's great people in out there, as I stated earlier, tiny towns committees, but people even not involved with tiny towns who are out collecting rubbish along the road and, doing little things like to improve our environment and but it's just you know it's great to see them they, they will give you hope afterwards 
can you see Cork County Council go down the route of the City Council and have what we're affectionately calling the bin police calling door to door and asking people if they don't have curbside collection how are they disposing of their rubbish I would say that's the way we have to go down I, I know to the council down and carry the proposals um, last year first and I, I thought myself it was a great idea like it, it, unless they have any um, evidence that they, if they use some bring site or if they don't have a bin they have to give evidence where do they dump the rubbish something has to be done like that Yeah and we'll keep a close eye and see how it works out in the uh, city Okay uh, Danny uh, we leave it there Uh, thank you for that And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is West Cork uh, councillor Danny Collins with his suggestion for these audio devices to be put in at bring sites to remind people of the correct way to recycle and the correct way to use the uh, bring site and also body cams for litter wardens. 1850-333-103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Keep your gardening questions coming. I can already see those coming in for uh, Peter Dowdell. We'll take a look at your calls and uh, comments. And we have a wedding expert talking about wedding etiquette, uh, particularly around the giving of of gifts all coming up in the next hour. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your comments on littering coming in and dog fouling. Eileen in Bantry says, Hi, a group of us went out here in Bantry a few weeks ago. We did a 14 kilometre clean up on the N71. We filled 65 bags of rubbish. This Some of this rubbish was rubbish that could have been recycled, but it seems it's easier to throw it out a car window. It's really maddening to see it's been littered again. Ah, oh, the frustration of that. People just don't seem to care anymore, says Eileen from Bantry. How do we get it across to people? that they need to just bring bring their rubbish home with them. Now on dog fouling, which is one that always seems to get people going, um, Anne-Marie in Mallow says the footpaths in Mallow are destroyed with dog uh, fouling. But what really annoys her is watching people who take dogs out for a walk, they'll make sure they're well away from their own gateway or their own area and allow their dogs to go to the toilet somewhere else. She said she saw a guy one day let his dog foul outside the doorway of a business. Anne-Marie was a brave lady. She said, I followed the man and I said, sorry now, but when people are going in and out to work the next morning, that dog poo is going to be traipsed in and out of the premises. You really need to clean it up. And he did. She said he ended up, he didn't have any bags with him or any tissue paper with him. So he ended up getting paper out of a street bin and he cleaned it up. She said, I didn't feel sorry for him in any way at all. Also to see dogs fouling in pitches and in parks and then children going to play is all so wrong. And Tanetia McCroom says there's a law in Australia and she thinks it's in in other countries that when you're out walking with your dog you have to have a little container that's clipped onto the dog collar or onto the dog lead and inside in the container it's a little plastic container I've seen this in operation in Australia it contains the bags to clean up after your dog she thinks it's a great idea because what happens then is people get fined doesn't matter whether the dog has been to the toilet or not if you're walking around and you don't have this little container clipped onto the dog collar or onto your dog lead then you get fined straight away it's one way of making sure that people 
at least have the bags with them when they're out walking their dogs. Ben in Roscarby says people walking dogs on the beach are as guilty. I don't mind people walking dogs on beaches, but he said you will see people leaving their dogs off the lead. The dogs then running to another part of the beach do their business and then covered it up it's buried in the sand and then it's the same sand where children are going to go and play on it is disgraceful and just a final one on this Patton from Moy says there should be dog parks that are used only for people walking their dogs he has noticed in the last week or so in Formoy somebody is going around the town and marking dog poo on the footpath somebody is circling the dog fouling with pink chalk and then writing above it bin and below it bag it and they're writing it in pink chalk. Now if anyone can get a photograph of that into us please I would love to put that up on our social media pages are better still if whoever is doing it would like to come forward and have a chat with us we can chat with you anonymously I would love to see who's doing that somebody is becoming poo police in Formoy with a simple enough way of doing it with pink chalk in the hope well firstly it's identifying it so people are walking along it'll make it easier for people to see it but also I suppose in the hope that it will shame whoever is doing it to please stop doing it now we've also had a huge reaction to my interview with Harry McCann in the last hour about referees and the abuse that referees are getting and what really got to me when I was talking with Harry was the fact that it's underage you know he is officiating at under it's underage soccer it is just absolutely the abuse is incredible and a number of people are saying yeah they know all about exactly what Harry is is speaking about and there's something needs to be done about it let me go to the phone lines on this uh, subject because John uh, joins me uh, good morning to you John Good morning, Patricia. How are you keeping? Uh, I'm, I'm keeping very well. Uh, thank you for contacting us. You listened to what Harry was saying and it doesn't surprise you? It doesn't because I'll tell you, it's going on with the years and it's not being dealt with. Now, there are two suggestions I would make which I think would help referees very much. Number one, nobody allowed on the pitch except the officials that are needed. That's number one. Okay. And number two, the people that are abusing identify those people and give their club a good hefty fine because I know one woman in particular at matches. The minute the ball is thrown in, she starts cursing and melting and blinding and the referee is wrong no matter what. Those people are shocking because it's a great GEA for young people. It's fantastic. I have grandchildren now and I can see them out on the lawn with their jacket on and their tights and they're hurling away and they have a goal and they'll be scoring goals and it keeps them out of harm's way yeah. and sets them for life. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, we we spoke we've sp- we spoke only yesterday about childhood obesity on the program, and that we need right. to get our children more active. But this is actually if if this level of abuse that Harry is describing is going on at underage level, that's going to turn off young people from ever getting involved. Of course, it's because I often said to myself, "How do referees referee matches?" Because. Uh, even I've a little granddaughter six now she's a very good little hurler and one day she scored the goal in a pint and she came down to the yard where I was working Brandy she said I scored a goal in a pint today and I hope to hurl from Cox someday she said yeah delighted with herself it's fantastic like, yeah. uh, like referees are great and like what I often stand on the side of the referee is 
you say foul there and you say God the referee never blew the whistle but it depends on the angle you're looking from mm. if it's right in front you can but from the side you might see what he don't see when he's when his thing is right in front of him it, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to please everybody. It is, it, it is. It's, 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 it's only a sport. Yeah, and it's a tough job that referees have. It's, it's a tangless it, job, Patricia. Yeah. And you know they're great fellas that do it because we've a few people on Ben Lassie Garnham in there and they're doing it and their father before them did it. And sure, if you hadn't a referee, you couldn't have the match. You won't have a match, yeah. But again, and I'm still seeing texts coming in uh, on this saying, how come they can get a respect level in rugby? And why can't we get that in soccer? And why can't we get that in GAA? Well, I totally agree with you because they're such fine, strong men. If they started fighting, merciful God, the pitch would move. <laughs> they're such gentlemen because it's all down to respect for the referee and respect for the game and respect for your club. Yeah, it is. It is. I agree. All right, John, listen, thank you for okay. that. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining us. Thanks a million. Uh, Maura says, my grandsons play rugby None of this behaviour is allowed. They have complete and absolute respect for the referee and says absolutely shocked listening to Harry's interview in the last hour and the behaviour that's been perpetrated towards Harry and all other referees. People who attend these matches uh, have no anger management skills, that is for sure. And I know John Paul got some comments in. John and Mallow said a lot of the abuse is down to poor refereeing. You get refs from nearby clubs and then players and supporters get agitated. I don't agree with abusing refs, but the standard of refereeing needs to be talked about. Not all referees are wrong, says John in Mallow. Also, people roaring at refs and players Many never played sport, so they don't understand what it's like to be on the pitch in front of a ground. I recently saw abuse at a camogie game under age level. You have refs with less experience and that's what leads to problems when decisions are made. And if a decision is made and it goes against your team and you have somebody angry from the sideline and they're blaming the ref, that's what, what can happen, even though, yeah, OK. Uh, is it bad refereeing or is it just because it's gone against your team that you're against it? You're the only one, John, raising that about ra- bad refereeing. Everybody else is seeing it from the side of the ref, I have to say. And a lot of people very, very sympathetic uh, to referees. Kieran was at a game underage, uh, 16-year-olds. Uh, they were females, female match and the abuse was unreal. Paula says, my brother is a referee and he got, he was getting a lot of abuse from a woman, one of the spectators on the sideline. The woman kept hurling abuse at my brother as referee in the first half of the game. So at half time my brother went over and said can you not just calm down a little bit can you not just enjoy the game? But she turned on my brother and said, well, we'll never see you in Croke Park because you're just not up to it. You're just not good enough as a ref. As he walked away, my brother turned around and said, well, love, we'll never see you at the Rosa Tralee either. And he said, <laughs> and Paula said there wasn't a word out of her uh, for the uh, second half. So 
Referee able to bounce back with a quick answer. Well done to your brother. Uh, 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. John Paul, uh, taking the calls. Um, keep your gardening questions coming in because I can see some of them already coming in for Peter Dowd. Keep them coming in because uh, Peter will join us in the final hour of the programme. C103 Jobs. An office administrator, an, an office administration person with some sales experience is wanted. It's for an immediate f- start. Full training will be provided. A relief van driver is wanted for part-time and holiday work. That's for deliveries in Cork City and County. A receptionist slash admin person wanted for business. That's in the Bantry area. And a full-time manager required for the namery and after-school service at Musica Fusion School of Music. That's in Charleville. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Now, yesterday, the topic of wedding presents came up on the programme with some wondering, what is the appropriate cash gift to give. Uh, what if you don't give enough? This is what happened to one guest at an Australian wedding. I've just hung up the phone from a friend, ex-friend now, whose wedding was a few weekends ago. She had a beautiful wedding, lots of guests, lots of wine and food. There were even fireworks when she and her new hubby left via yacht to go on their honeymoon. She was ringing people, thanking them for coming to her wedding. Ah, sweet, right? Wrong! She told me that the cost of having my husband and I at her wedding was far more than the miserly gift we gave her. So I tell her that we gave them $200 cash and a small designer candle that was $75. I was thinking perhaps someone stole the card with the cash. My friend's always been a bit quick to judge and can be tone deaf rude, but she has a good heart. She says to me that it wasn't enough and that the venue charge was $250 per head. So. I owed her another $300 cash. Now, was that bride just being rude? Well, joining me from the online wedding magazine One Fab Day is their deputy editor, uh, Selena Murphy. Good morning to you, Selena. Morning, Patricia. Now, I'm very well. That story has gone viral. Could you ever see an Irish bride, our groom, ring up and complain about somebody's miserly gift? I have to say, thankfully, I've never heard of this in Ireland and we interact with couples a lot. You know, they ask us various questions uh, and put dilemmas to us about planning weddings. And they'll often tell us, you know, they have family drama going on here and there. But I have to say, I've never heard an Irish person say that uh, an Irish member of a couple said anything like them to this before. Um, And yeah, I I actually think it's incredibly rude on the part of this uh, Australian bride. And I think that's probably why the story has gone viral, because a lot of people feel the same way I do. Incredibly rude, or some may say, some very few may say, incredibly honest. Because when we mentioned it yesterday, uh, we straight away got in a couple of calls uh, from one bride saying she got a card from her uncle with 20 euro inside in it. And somebody else said she got a cheese board as a present. Mm. So we, we've, we might bitch behind the person's back. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I would approach it. Like if a, if couples said to me that they were experiencing that, I would say, I mean, it's fine for you to complain to your friends about it, but I don't know if you want to take the further step to confront them about it, because really when it comes down to it, you don't invite people to your wedding in, it's not a transaction. It's not a business transaction. It's supposed to be something you do 
out of the goodness of your heart because the person means a lot to you. It's not supposed to have a financial kickback at the end of it, which I didn't think I'd have to say on radio, but apparently yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, that Australian girl who tells that story says, uh, my friend, my now ex-friend, she, you know, she, she, their friendship is gone over something like that. Yeah, I have to say, if that did happen to me now, in fairness, I would definitely rethink my friendship with the person. I've been in the position before where I've been invited to a wedding and I didn't feel like I had, you know, whatever the average amount is that you're supposed to get, which we find from people is between 50 and 100 euro per guest. And I've been at weddings where I knew, let's say, my meal probably cost more than I had put in the card. And I did feel bad about that, but there was nothing I could do at the time. It was whatever financial situation I was in. But, yeah, that's that's a, a completely understandable perspective from the guest side of things. Mm. But I don't, I can't really condone... Uh, you know, if someone had come back to me and said, oh, well, I'm not happy with that, I need more, I would have just said, push it basically on your bike. Like, I don't want to be friends with that kind of person. Absolutely, absolutely. So that which brings me to, and you've sort of answered it, the going mm. the going rate for, uh, for a cash gift for 2019. Yeah, I would say like a good, a good benchmark to kind of go for is between 50 euro and 100 euro per guest and that is just if you're trying to cover the cost really per head meal I would say you know 50 probably won't even cover it 100 is probably a safer number but uh, I understand that that's a lot of money for a lot of people Um, and I think couples factor that in as well like you have to think of it like the couple might be inviting 150 people they might have some guests who give them 500 or 600 euro because they happen to be very very generous we hear that all the time that some people go way over um the average so if you really are genuinely struggling i think it's kind of okay like i'd like to say that to my past self with the 50 euro in the card it's not that big of a deal in the scheme of things there will be people who kind of overshoot with the amount they give and how generous they are so don't worry about it too much if you can't kind of reach the average amount yeah, because somebody earlier when I mentioned you were coming on uh, was looking for advice and wondering, is it different when it's a family member? She was giving the example that her niece is getting married uh, this summer and all, and her adult children have been invited as well, the first cousins. So they're all giving individual gifts and everybody's a bit confused. Do you, you know, do you give more because it's a family member over a friend or do you give more when it's a friend? Or is it just an individual choice? Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I'm kind of, we're trying to, we're hoping that we can bring wedding registries back or, well, they never were really a huge thing in Ireland. But in that case, it just solves so many problems because the couple picks a couple of things that they want and you can pay into a fund or you can pay into a honeymoon fund. And it means the couple don't know how much you've given. So it's not as much of a faux pas, let's say, if you think you've not given enough. Um, In general, I wouldn't say it really depends on how close you are like familiarly or friendship wise the couple I would say it's fine to just go for the average anyway and you'll also find as well that people who are very close to the couple or close family members will probably have contributed in some other way like they might have you know brought them for like they might have organized their hen and paid a lot of money towards that mm. or brought them you know for their dress fitting and paid for lunch afterwards people who are very close to the couple would probably have financially contributed in lots of different little ways or they might have given them a gift of a weekend away or something like that so I don't think you need to necessarily give extra I would yeah, say yeah yeah and is it all cash gifts 
I mean, are, are any brides actually looking for gifts for their yeah, wedding? Yeah, well, we find now that the wedding registry thing in Ireland is picking up a little bit. And I think it's because it takes away some of the awkwardness around giving cash. Um, but in like, I would say largely we're still a cash gift society here in Ireland. There's a lot of putting notes in envelopes. That That's what I've seen from attending weddings over the last two years. There hasn't been a massive change in that. But I think we are slowly adapting the registry route as well. And then bringing it on the day of the wedding, we seem to be we seem to be big into doing that. I always feel sorry for the best man. I know and it's a really tricky one as well because it's it's responsibility for the best man and then we see some couples who maybe put like a box out and you can't always be secure you know like it, depending on your venue if it's an exclusive hire venue you're probably okay or if you have the staff working with you on the box that the cards go into that's fine but it's a tricky one as well because if you're in a hotel venue and there's two other weddings happening you know you can't be sure who's walking in and out of the venue so it is tricky we do advise people to assign someone in the bridal party that job of taking the cards um, in general, they don't mind, even though it means they have to stay a bit soberer for the day. Yeah, because, but, but for a lot of people, it's cash. There can be a lot of money in those cards yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, and ideally, um, you would assign it to someone who has accommodation nearby or on site at the venue so that yeah. they can go up and put it in the safe, yeah. you know, at six o'clock and then not worry about it anymore because, yeah, it is a lot of cash to have on you as a best man, especially when you're going up and down to the bar all night. It's a bit, <laughs> bit of a temptation, I'd say, as well. Now, some of our less listeners yesterday complained that they don't always receive a thank you card after the wedding. There had been a tradition that you always got a thank you card within weeks of the wedding. And now it doesn't always happen. Have, have you noticed that? Are you hearing of that? Yeah, I have to say I was racking my brains thinking about this and I'm pretty sure that any wedding I've been to, I've gotten a thank you card if I've given a cash gift or otherwise or any kind of gift. Um, but then maybe there's a couple of times where I'm just forgetting because they they might not have sent the card out and I, I might have thought no more of it. In general, I feel like uh, the thank you cards are still a thing. Like we encourage couples that we talk to to order the thank you cards along with the stationery just because it's one of those things you could easily forget. You think wedding planning is over, but actually you still have a few things left in the to-do list. So we like always encourage people to get on very early and to have the stacks of thank you cards there so they don't forget. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure about that. In general, I think I... I still see them all the time and I still receive them and I hope they don't um, Yeah I, well, don't I, I only lately received one from a wedding that I went to last year and it was a photograph of the couple on the day lovely handwritten note inside in it uh, and also enclosed was a photograph of me with the bride which I thought was a really nice touch Oh that's so lovely Yeah, yeah That like, little extra personal touch of the photo inside was, is gorgeous So yeah I think it depends on the, how kind of creative and thoughtful the couple are I suppose I wouldn't say it's a massive faux pas not to send them but personally I think people like them Okay What is the average Irish wedding costing today Selena? So it is brace yourself 31,000 euro is what we have found in our surveys Yeah That's for everything Yeah that's for everything that does tend to include the honeymoon as well Okay It could be three or four you know are there yeah. way, are there ways of saving or is it just it's your one day forget about the saving just go go for it <laughs> No there are loads of ways to save and like we always try and tell people like you can have a great wedding 
for 2,000 euro or 5,000 euro or 10,000 euro, it's just not going to be the same as maybe your friend's wedding who had a big country house for 150 people and a full weekend long affair. I don't think you can get that kind of a wedding for 2,000 or 5,000 euro, but you could have a registry ceremony in a city and go for a lovely dinner for, you know, a, a more, a, a smaller price and cost. Um yeah, we always just say it depends on really how attached you are to the idea of a big, luxurious wedding. And if you are and you have the money or you can get it from somewhere, go for it. Mm. But if you're, if you can imagine yourself in a kind of a smaller, lower key wedding and, you know, you feel happy with that decision, absolutely go for it. You can do it at all costs. Like we have a section on our website we get real couples to tell us their budgets and we have had weddings for 2,000 euro. I've been to weddings that cost 2,000 euro. So it I, is possible to do. It, it is possible. But yeah. we, we love our weddings in this country, we don't do. we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, no, we, we are, as a nation, we're, I would say we're fairly close to obsessive yeah. about weddings. <laughs> we love to chat about them. We love to whinge about them as well um, because, you know, sometimes we often end up in situations where we have like six in the summer and it kind of takes over our lives um but yeah i think weddings are definitely not um becoming any less of a talking point in ireland we just like just this week we have a podcast here um at one fab day and we asked our readers if they would submit questions and we got 50 questions in a couple of hours all about weddings all about guest lists all about accommodation everything so people there's still all those questions that need to be answered clearly well, when I mentioned you were coming on, I said, look, we've got an expert in weddings. Well, we'll pick Selena's brain. Has anybody got any questions? Oh, and yeah. actually, um, I, I, and I was kind of wondering, would this come in? And it's come in two or three times, I'm told, children at weddings. Mm. Uh, I put one scenario. Uh, we're after getting a phone call to say uh, that uh, my cousin is getting married. We are invited to the wedding, but our children are not. That means we are not going. We don't go anywhere without our children. And my cousin knows that. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that person is completely fair. Like, that's a completely fair trade-off. I think when couples decide to make their their weddings adult-only, they have to, they're taking that risk that people won't go because they can't sort childcare or they don't have some, or maybe they're coming from afar, they're travelling a lot, and it's not possible, and that's the risk the couple are taking. So in that case, usually I wouldn't say there are a lot of, like, polite <laughs> Uh, circumstances in which you can decline a wedding invitation but in that one I think it's completely fair and the couple will know exactly what the what the reason is behind it I mean I would suggest to them to say it in a polite way maybe personal like give them a phone call and chat through about it so there are no hard feelings but yeah that's yeah, it's f- how it's going to have to be unfortunately but then someone else says at my sister's wedding last year she had clearly stated no children two of her friends arrived with toddlers what could we do we couldn't ask them to leave yeah, of course. I've actually been to weddings where that did happen as well, or where where they didn't the the children didn't come. Let's say to the main part of the wedding, like the ceremony and the drinks reception, but then they turned up on the dance floor at about half nine, and then there are other people in the like other guests. They're looking around, going, "Well, I've sorted childcare for my child, yeah, so they yeah. feel a bit put out by that." Yeah. But that's the thing about weddings as well is that if someone comes on the day and they're on your guest list and they decide to break whatever rules that you've set down in your invitation or on your wedding website, there's nothing you can really say. You can either 
confront them about it but do you really want to be doing that not you on your wedding well you know as that sister said you're hardly go, they're hardly going to go over and ask the two of them no. to leave you know but it's yeah uh, again you'd wonder would the friendship be damaged afterwards particularly when the bride had asked uh, for, for no children okay one fab day it's a fab website I have to say I was Thanks on it so yesterday we're, we're still very traditional in that we like our summer weddings in, in this country I mean I, I love winter weddings I have to say I love a Christmas wedding but the majority of weddings will be what May, June, July, August yeah uh, we would find that now still like we love winter weddings as well and spring and autumn obviously are second in popularity then to summer um but yeah i think we are a nation of optimists and we all are hoping that you know june 1st if we have our wedding that the sun will be shining now last year a lot of couples were pleased with the results i'm not sure what's going to happen this summer um there are a lot of outdoor um ceremonies are very popular in ireland at the minute and we're always a bit like have a plan b because you never know what's going to happen um and hopefully this summer will be just as good but yeah summer weddings are still where it's at i think okay listen selena we appreciate you taking time to talk to us thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning Thanks so much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Uh, Selena Murphy from One Fab Day. Everything you want to know about weddings, it's uh, all there and she is the deputy uh, editor. OK, some of your thoughts uh, coming in on the Australian bride who contacted the friend over her miserly gift, which I don't think was a miserly gift. But anyway, listeners, uh, text us says, hi, Patricia. If you invite someone to a wedding or to indeed any function or a par- party, it's because you want them there. You want them with you to celebrate. It's not because of the gift they may or may or not bring uh, with them. Patricia, hi. When I got uh, when I get a wedding inv- invitation, I go to Birmingham's Gifts in Formoy. I will always get a fab gift on special offer. For example, I got a canteen of cutlery there last month and I saved a lot of money on it. I got a lamp there last year for another wedding gift. Just keep a lookout for when sales are on and you can actually save a lot of money and you'll end up giving a gift to somebody. You know, a gift that could be, say, €200. Euro. If you see it on sale at half price, you're only paying €100 euro for it, but the gift that you're giving to the person is worth €200. Euro. That's clever. But uh, as when we were talking with Celine, very few brides and grooms want, want a gift. Now, there's nothing wrong there. I, I don't think, I mean, when you, unless, have you ever had a wedding invitation where they ask for cash only? Because I, I can think of one where we got a wedding invitation where they looked for cash or the other. I've never, it's only ever been one. I normally then will ask what's the person looking for? Is it cash that they're looking for? And I would say 10 out of 10 times they come back and say yes. But unless it's actually stated in the wedding invitation, which I say I think is rather unusual, maybe it's becoming more popular that you will actually see on the wedding invitation cash gifts only. But if you don't see that, then that listener is right. Go, You feel free to buy whatever you want to buy. Heidi says, Patricia, we got married 47 years ago. We got towels, bed linen, tablecloths, cutlery sets, but now it's all about money. Many of them use the money to put it towards their honeymoon cost. They do, and others use it to pay for the cost of the hotel as well. And there was a lovely one in from Maura earlier on weddings, if I can find it, to say, uh, Patricia, I got married in 1980. I got enough bedsheets, candlewick bedspreads, 
I'd have I would had enough at the time to open up a place that could have wrapped mummies up like the Egyptians do. And I wonder, Maura, do you have any of those bath sheets? Back in the 1980s, they would have been those Green Hill. Was it Green Hill? Green Hill sheets? They came in boxes, lovely boxed sheets. Fantastic quality. I wonder, do you have any of them left? And Candlewick bedspreads. I haven't seen or heard of a Candlewick bedspread. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right. I'd say since the 1980s, Maura, again, I put the question to you. Do you still have any of them? And just on wedding presents and Maura with the Candlewick bedspreads and somebody else with the amount of sheets that they got enough to wrap up a mummy and they could start off their own Egyptian uh, sort of a museum. Joan, you could have opened up a tea shop by all accounts. I could, Patricia. I actually got 10 tea sets. 10? 10. I have two left. I put two in the garbage about three years ago. My friends murdered me, but what did I want them for, really? And were these now the China tea sets? They were the very good quality. Yeah. Um, I actually gave my mam a set. I gave my sister. I distributed four or five sets within months of getting married. But to be honest, I never got value out of them because... The cups are so tiny. We always love a mug. <laughs> I've never got value. I know. When I opened this press, I never had these glass cabinets, but they're actually in the way at the moment. And I'm debating, will I bin them or what? Will I, I, they will never be used. Can I say don't bin them? Give them into a charity shop. Yeah, possibly. You'd be, you'd be surprised to charity shop because some people like the idea of China teacups. Right. There might be someone out there. but uh, And of course, it was an era where you couldn't go back to the shop and return it. That, no, that would have been unheard of. And I wouldn't because people bought them in I good know. faith. I know. And I think it's awful to ask for money, personally. Do you? Yeah. And were you, were you of the generation that, that you put all those on display so people came in and would have seen your gifts? Yeah, we had neighbours in and we were priding out of all the presents at the time. Um, coal scuttle sets, blankets, 
some of the famous candle wicks. I got nylon ones, pictures, you name it. But to be honest, loads of people doubled up, you know. Um, but that's what I'm thinking. When the neighbours... quadrupled, I mean... But when the neighbours came in and they'd hand you the gift and it'd be, Joan, have a lovely day and then come in and see the presents. And you'd have to go into raptures. Yeah. And you might say, oh, sweet Jesus, but I don't know. If I bought in, oh, I'm after buying a lovely tea set for Joan and I walk in and see nine others, am yeah. I not embarrassed? Well, they didn't seem to be. <laughs> uh, some of them came on the day because my husband wouldn't have been local, you know. Yeah. And I didn't actually have nine or ten of them on display. But afterwards, when we were looking through them, just then the real amount came into focus, <laughs> you know. But nevertheless, the people meant well. And you've made me feel guilty now that I actually been to them. <laughs> Somebody else is asking, did Joan ever consider re-gifting them? Did she have weddings the following years that she could have given a tea set? I didn't really because no. I'm not any good to re-gift anything. Are you not? I'd prefer, you know, I do go to a charity shop with stuff, but yeah. I would rather put it in. In fact, I've loads of unwanted school gifts now that kids, they got here through the years. You know, people mean so well giving uh, teachers little gifts. Yeah. But um, some of them never get used and they all mean it in good faith and you'd be in raptures when you'd get it, you know. But um, in fact, some charity shops don't even want some of those ornaments yeah. and different and, things. And now. I also know of a lot of charity shops who uh, are very thankful to teachers because they pass on so many new new items to them. Well, yeah, these are coffee pots and little oh, things to keep stuff hot, you know, and there are books involved and you appreciate getting them. But I know. personally, at times, I wonder... Is it a hassle on parents if they have a few children? At the yeah, school? yeah, absolutely. Our grandchildren Go. in Glenmar now they're not allowed to bring gifts. And that'll come up again now for end of school. The end, I know it comes up at Christmas. It'll come up again in, in June. But go back to your wedding presents. Do you have... The one thing when I was talking with Celine, our expert, about the fact that it's all money now. People give... Uh, it's all money gives is what the bride and groom uh, wants. And it just struck me. In years to come, will those young brides... They'll have nothing to say or nothing to show. I got that as a wedding present. I mean, you still, you must still have items in your home. Oh, I have in yeah. the attic. I have other stuff, really, I'd say. You that, know, I have really. But um, I actually heard of a bride now, not in this county at all lately, and I thought it was awful. She had her um, bridesmaid the morning after opening the envelopes to actually pay for the reception. I mean, I don't think I'd get married if I was waiting for that. Oh, God. They were in a room off a main part of the oh, hotel. Oh, my God. I, I mean, that was really bringing it down to the line. And then you're hoping and praying enough money falls out yeah, of the envelopes. Yeah, and she never knew who gave her anything. She just, oh, how much, how much have we got? It? Yeah. I thought it was callous. It was yeah. just so awful of her. And awful for those that give a lot of money in good faith. And then you wouldn't know the difference whether somebody gave a hundred or five hundred. They never got a thank you, yeah. I'm sure. Ronnie in Mallow says we got married in nineteen sixty five. My beautiful sister gave me an electric an electric fire with three bars. We still use it to this day. I also have Green Hill towels. They came in boxes, didn't they? 
They did, yeah. And they were lovely. You get a bath towel and two hand towels. Yeah, yeah. And good quality towels. Beautiful. Yeah. You wouldn't get them now. <laughs> Have you any of the sheets still left or are they well worn? Um, no, I haven't actually. Because they were kind of white, a lot of them, and they were cold, really. <laughs> I passed on a lot of my presents, i say, really. Yeah. Uh, you know. Hi, Trish. I married 24 years ago, and only this year I opened the last of the Green Hill towels. All colours, all combinations. Two hand towels, a bath and a hand towel, etc. We had enough carving knives to keep us cutting until now. I think people expect too much these 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 days. All we could say at the time was thank you, no matter what you got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree with that, really. Yeah. Unless, too commercialised and you saw what happened the morning after there now. With yeah, somebody. yeah. Are the, Austra- are the Australian bride ringing up the friend and saying, you miserly gift, you owe me more money? What oh, I think hell? that's awful. And like some people do expect 200 from everybody. Yeah, yeah. Or if not, uh, some place where they want to buy furniture to do, put it towards it. Do you like going to weddings? No. Oh, no. Like, uh, you love them. I, I do, know. I do, I do. No, I find at times, maybe one year we had 10 weddings. Oh, and I think that finished it. Yeah. We have been at a few since. My own son, best friends, loads of nieces and nephews. And I think we were all weddinged out after that year. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. if I didn't have, I could cope with three, three or four. But that was too many. That was too many. But between rotating outfits and trying to go and I just had enough of them. I was never a wedding fan because I thought the church was lovely. But unless you were really drinking between that and the reception, I found that could drag personally. It can be a very long part of the day. It can be long, depending. Yeah. And if you travel a place, then you can go in some place for a cup or a sandwich, you know, in between. But you're so long waiting for the wedding party to arrive then. And then for the dinner, you can or be starved. It's me and my old age. <laughs> it's not. Listen, Joan, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for that. Okay. And thanks, thanks for joining for us. Uh, Texter says, I'm still using Green Hill sheets that I got in 1969. And Una says, I have a few items in my house that were wedding presents 50 years ago. I say a prayer for the givers. Uh, so I'm still using them. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Still getting a huge amount of reaction to weddings and wedding presents and people remembering their own weddings and people remembering their parents' weddings and talking about gifts that they still have. And it's just one of the things that I wonder, will couples in the future who only got cash cash gifts, will they regret the fact that in years to come they won't have any little mementos that Auntie Bridie gave them as a wedding present, for example. And a gorgeous uh, WhatsApp with photographs in from a listener There's no name on this. Lovely photographs. One is a photograph of what looks like six whiskey glasses. I don't know whether that the, the, the actually carved out engraving on the glass, but they're lovely. Still in the box with the wedding card signed by the couple that gave the whiskey glasses. And then still in the original boxes, two 
sets of green hill towels, one pink set and one sort of a candy stripe set. And the note with it says 51 years ago today. Isn't it interesting we're talking about it today? 51 years ago today, my mum and dad got married. Only lately, my three sisters uh, and I divided up all of the gifts. Lovely to have because they're both passed away now and they still, still have the gifts. Isn't that lovely? And today you can remember uh, with much love and affection, your mum and dad, and you still have some of their wedding presents. You see, there's nobody, no no future generation would ever be able uh, to do that. That's for sure. Thank you for that. And uh, I'm hoping it's not too sad a day, as no doubt you're very much thinking of your mum and uh, dad uh, today. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp. Uh, Breather in Mallow says, when I mention candle wick bedspreads, Breather says, yes, Patricia, I have a candle wick bedspread. I use it to this day, says Breather in Mallow. I don't know if you can buy them anymore, though. I don't know if any of them are, are available, but they obviously, they were great. They, there was great wear out of them, wasn't it? If all those years later, it's still it's still going strong in Breather's house. Noreen says, hi, Patricia. When we got married over 15 years ago, which isn't that long ago, we received 18 clocks as well as all of the rest of our wedding gifts. Now, to be fair, every single clock is beautiful and thoughtfully chosen, so we never parted with any single one of them. However, you can imagine the job I have twice a year, changing all the clocks back and forth. Sure, by the time I get to the last clock, I have to double check the time again. And you know the best bit? I'm always late for everything enjoying your show, <laughs> says uh, Noreen. Thank you for that, Noreen, and continue to enjoy your 18 clocks. That's got to be a record on, on of one item that you get repeated for your wedding. Hi, Patricia. On the ladies' tea sets, that was Joan in the last hour who got all of the tea sets for her wedding present. And she has some still in the box, never used... A suggestion in from this listener saying the old time event, which is held in Emmett Square in Clonakilty every year, are always looking for them. But I'm not too sure on how she can donate to it. And we'll see if anybody involved with the old time event in Emmett Square in Clon. Are you looking for old tea sets? Because certainly Joan has a couple that she would be willing to part to if we can get them to Clannacilty. Thank you for that. Some of your calls into John Paul. Charlie in Whelan says, we received a thank you card after a wedding with their photograph on it. I thought it was really, really nice. Yeah, I was saying the last couple of weddings I've been at, it seems to be kind of a new thing to do now. And it's one of the official photographs, you know, that's taken by the actual professional photographer. I just think it's a nice little touch. I mean, I know we all would have have our phones and would have taken our own pictures, but you don't get many of them printed out. So it's nice to kind of have one and a nice little reminder of the day as well. Lisa says, asking, this is guests being our brides and grooms, asking you to pay for your own meal at a wedding is ludicrous. A message should be included with all of the invites. Your presence is what we want, not your gifts. Yeah, that would be a really nice thing to put in. And actually, Nora has a lovely story. She uh, was at a wedding in the UK uh, recently. She's just back from it. And on the invitation, it was stated, all we require is your company. If you would like to donate, you can to the Alzheimer Association, the UK British Heart Foundation or Cancer Research They obviously had picked three charities in the United Kingdom and said, we don't want gifts. 
but if you want to give a donation instead, which is that's a very, very generous thing to do by a young couple getting married. And on the day at the drinks reception, there was envelopes and next to each envelope, there was a sticker that you could put your donation into the envelope and you could choose the sticker of the charity name where you wanted the money to go uh, to. Well, they were really well uh, organised. Uh, well done. I'm assuming that's a relative of yours, uh, Nora. Pass on our good wishes and say what a kind, kind thing to do. And that's good karma. We'll come back to them. I, I promise you that. Jaron Yall said, I was going to a wedding, wedding and a funeral last year. So when I was in a shop telling a lady, she said to me in a serious manner, she would rather a funeral any day over a wedding as the cost of a wedding. Plus, it can be a very long day. I thought it was funny the way she said it, but she was being very, very serious. Jar, I've heard people say when a wedding invitation comes in the post, yippee, here's another bill. Weddings can be very expensive. They can be very expensive if you are starting from the beginning and you're buying a new outfit, for example, if you want to go down the outfit uh, route. People can spend a lot of money on wedding outfits. Now you don't have to do that. You can cut costs by something that's already in the wardrobe. Then you've got, obviously, the day itself. You've got the gift, which now we've, we've been discovering today seems to be all cash. Then you've got the costs yourself on the day if you and your partner like a few drinks again it's up to you how much or how little you spend on the day but you know if you're having a nice day out with family or with friends you know you might spend a lot of money on drink on that day and if you get into round systems you definitely will and then if the venue is away from where you're living there's overnight accommodation so that has to be factored in as well and then what came up earlier when we were talking about it, events where children are, the couple will say we don't want any children to go if you have to pay for babysitters and you know, it can, yes, it can be, absolutely, it can be very, very expensive. Denise in Middleton says, I do feel weddings in Ireland go on too long. They start at around one o'clock. You are up early getting ready between drinks, reception, the meal, the band and the day doesn't finish until two or three in the morning. It is the length of the day that gets to Denise in Middleton. And Denise, I can tell you, I've been at weddings where if I got to bed at two o'clock, I was doing well. I've been at weddings that have gone on half the night uh, as well. But, you know, again, that's all part of the fun. And I suppose people will say it's up to you if you want to stay up till two, three or later uh, in the morning. Patricia, 55 years ago, this is by text, 55 years ago tomorrow, I got married. Oh, heartiest congratulations to you. I sit of the sheets and the towels. People now cohabit. So that, that's why they want only cash. Most of them have their own home before they ever get mar- married. It's a pity, really, because I still remember the people that gave me those presents whenever I'm washing the towels and the sheets. I can clearly remember the people that gave them uh, to me. And the younger couples are going to miss out on uh, that, which was one of the points I made earlier uh, as well. Hi, Patricia. I got a nice wooden clock. For as a wedding present 35 years later that clock is still working well thank you for that okay there are some gardening questions keep those uh, coming in hi Patricia I recently got married and we invited every and, and everyone we invited to be at our wedding we invited because we wanted them there it was nothing at all to do with cash gifts everyone got a thank you card even though we didn't get anything from a lot of people even from some of our bridal party we didn't even get a card to say have a nice day have a lovely life together but we were grateful that they came and we're still friends it's very petty to fall out over something like this they didn't chose 
or they, the guests, didn't decide how much the dinner was going to cost or how much the day was going to cost. So therefore, they shouldn't have to pay for it. It is the bride and groom's responsibility. Thank you for that. Maura is back to say, Patricia, yeah, oh, this was Maura who had some of the sheets and the towels and the Candlewick bedspreads. She says, yes, they are all, they were all in boxes. They were good quality. And I'm good at the sewing machine. So the old sheets, when they were no longer of use for sheets, I lined curtains with them says Maura, got your handy with a needle and uh, thread. Uh, well done to you. OK, a couple of other issues then coming into us. Somebody had suggested that Leo Varadkar should be down at CUH and I was saying we, as Minister for Health he should be down there trying to sort it out and I was making the point uh, of what use would he be? You know, or not Leo Varadkar, someone saying Simon Harris should be there. And I was saying what use would he, would he be? You know, and if you get somebody like that on a day like what's been going on at CUH this week, there's more fuss about a minister. You know, I think it will be the worst thing would be to send in a minister when you have this cold black that's operating at, at CUH. Um, Maura is making the point that Simon Harris is not a doctor, but Leo Varadkar is. So maybe Leo Varadkar could go down, but I don't know when Leo Varadkar last uh, practised as a, a doctor. Uh, Margaret says, hi Patricia, if it's possible, could you please mention that the hemochromatosis meeting is on in Cork on the 17th of April. It's on the Clayton Hotel at half past at seven and all are very welcome if you have been recently diagnosed with hemochromatosis or have a family member. That's where you've got too much iron in your body and it's very, very common uh, in this country. I suggest to anyone actually, because I suffer from hemochromatosis, so I know what I'm talking about. If you are feeling extremely tired, it's usually one of the first it's usually one of the first um, symptoms that you'll get if you're feeling extremely tired, get your doctor to check for it just in case because I don't know if it's something that they check with as a matter of course so it might be something worth uh, ruling out. Okay, back to the phone lines I'm going where Breathe uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you Breathe. Woo, sorry, what line are we going to? Line one, sorry. Breathe, uh, uh, breed, is it? Breathe, yeah. Breathe, yeah, uh, good afternoon to you. Um, you have a oh, Waterford cut glass as a wedding present. Well, at the time I got married 45 years ago, 8th of August, and got water glass was the big thing at the time, Yeah, you know, so I got an extra amount of other presents, which were all fabulous, but, I mean, today's value would be worth, I'd say, seven or 8,000, in today's value, now I'm talking about. But, I mean, I, I have... Four boys, and I reckon there'd be a skip pulled up outside the door, but I'll move on to my other side. And I have always used it, even the children response, now the grandchildren, and three glasses I've lost in the whole 45 years. And you use them for special occasions? Or oh, all-, all the time. Any, any occasion. Not every, every day of the week at all, but, uh, you know, if it's friends in for dinner or for whatever, whatever, they're always used. But I was telling John Paul, I worked in the Metropole in Cork. Yeah. And um, very nice ladies there in the wash-up. And they said, oh, you're getting married. And I said, yeah, well, they said, well, I suppose we'll have to give you a present. Well, I said, listen here now, ladies, nothing less than water cutlass. I came from the country. A lot I knew about water cutlass. And they gave me a beautiful biscuit bar. And I look at it today and think of them. And Wasn't that so kind? Was it a biscuit barrel made of water 
class. We're all 100%. Oh. 100%. That must be a stunning piece. It's, it is a stunning piece. Beautiful. Oh, that's, I'm just looking at them at the, at the minute. There's an array of them. So you have them, but you have them in a glass cabinet? I have, do I you? have. Do you have, to, you have. Do you have to dust them? Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> when I have nothing else to do, I, I take them out and wash them. But you're fearful that your children won't have the mass on them that you have on them. I, I, I wouldn't. It's not today, Patricia. Yeah, you don't. Today. You don't go into many homes and see a glass cabinet full of water crystal, no. which is a pity because it's beautiful glass. Beautiful glass, but you made a very valid point. There's some that I remember giving. Uh, you know, mostly we give money if we go to weddings and all that type of thing. And to a lady, I gave her a set of glasses from uh, what well, Blarney, you know, Blarney yeah. one in the Yeah. And I went to visit her a couple of years later, and she says, "Come in, come in, and I'll show you my um, my the glasses you gave me in my cabinet." You know, and she was delighted because she still had delighted. Them. Yeah, I'm just yeah. no one will have those memories from. Can you? Because you can clearly remember those ladies who gave you the biscuit bar. Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. all the other things clearly. Yeah, remember. it's lovely. All right, uh, Bree, thank you for that. Yeah, you're very welcome. And, uh, and I love your program. Thanks very yeah, much. Thanks very yeah, much. Okay. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. And just on some of the other issues that have come up today on the refereeing, my young daughter was playing a football match in Mitchellstown. This was a while back, says Mick and Kentark. And during the match, the referee was getting dreadful abuse from some of the parents. After the match, I just happened to be talking to the referee about the abuse he was getting. The referee had travelled thirty miles to come to referee the match. And I asked him why, you know, is there not a referee around closer that could officiate at the match? And he said, none of the referees in a 20 mile radius would come near to referee a match because of the abuse that referees are getting from parents. And that's from Mick in Canturk. So while I don't think we've opened any can of worms by having young Harry McCann on the programme today. So many people are standing up and identifying and saying this is going on. Now, maybe because Harry has decided to go public, certainly from the soccer point of view, I don't know about the GAA point of view, he's hoping that the FAI will get involved and that they will do something. Maybe it's something for John Delaney to get involved with, but maybe the FAI will do something and maybe that the, the GAA will follow suit. But it has to stop because if it keeps up while we're hearing from young referees in particular, they say they're just going to give up refereeing. And if we gave up refereeing, then we're not going to have not going to have any of the underage matches. And just a couple on uh, littering to the person who uh, lives on the outskirts of Mitchell Mill Street on the Drishan Road and who takes the dog for a daily walk to do so the dog can do their business goes to a nice grass area outside a nicely kept private house and lets him lets the dog the dog does his business there with that person if they're listening please stop do it outside your own house why do you insist on doing it outside somebody else's house and on litter in the United Kingdom says a texter cleaners pick up rubbish Street cleaners pick up rubbish it also happens in other countries here we're obsessed with regulations penalties 
and other costly ideas. Litter, litter police, talking bins and litter traceability all cost a heck of a lot of money and it costs more than employing street cleaners. Give Gardaí and traffic wardens dash cams and body cams like we're talking about today and give them the power to issue issue on-the-spot fines on the same basis as they do with traffic penalties. Uh, Jail them if it goes to court and they don't pay the fines and then charge them costs. Using the town's CCTV and other dash cam, you could use those cameras or the body cams that we spoke about earlier. You could use that for evidence. 1850 Keep your gardening questions coming for Peter Dowdle. Text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Military historian and author Jerry White will speak on 1918 Victory, Virus and Votes. That's happening at half past eight uh, tonight in On Copying in Copying. Everyone is welcome. Avenue Blackwater Partnership are hosting an information evening on apprenticeships. That's on between seven and nine at their offices at the mill in Castletown Roach this evening. The monthly mass in honour of St. Pio that goes ahead in St. Joseph's Church in Liz Meyer. That's at eight o'clock. All are welcome. Bingo is on tonight, half past eight in the Adele Quinn Hall in Canturk. This week's jackpot, €5,250. And the Cork Arc Support, they're hosting a prostate cancer information evening Monday next, April the 8th. It's in the Rochestown Park Hotel between 7 and line 9. Now, limited places are available, so please book 21 4 and Tyke Murphy will present his programme in the music room in Boherbui on tomorrow night Thursday at 8 all are welcome especially newcomers to an evening of music to suit all at taste and the Great Irish Bake Off sale fundraiser for Temple Street Children's Hospital takes place this Friday at Bertava Furniture Shop in Formoy all donations of home baking will be much appreciated tea and coffees will be provided uh, compliments of the shop. And Nancy in Chardville has just been on to us uh, when we've been talking earlier on about CUH and the status black. Um, Nancy says uh, maybe if you're in Charleville or that side, maybe you'd be better off going to Limerick. It doesn't seem to be as bad. It's awful that the hospital has got to this uh, crisis uh, point. And literally as Nancy's call was coming in, University Hospital Limerick has recorded the highest ever daily figure of patients waiting on trolleys. 81 are waiting for a bed in University Hospital Limerick. It was at 69 yesterday. That has gone to uh, 81. 1850-333-103. Now, Brew Columbanus is a charity that provides home-from-home accommodation to relatives of seriously ill patients in Cork hospitals and they raise some of their funds through their charity shop in Skull. Well, last week, the shop moved to a larger premises. And joining me with further details is Anne-Maria O'Connor, who is the fundraising manager with Brew Columbanus. Uh, good afternoon to you, um, Anne-Marie. Good afternoon. Uh, and and you're you? welcome. And sorry Thank for... You for not getting to you in the last hour so we appreciate no, your patience. Sure, now sure. tell me a little bit about the Skull Charity Shop. I believe it opened three years ago and it's your only shop. It's our only um, charity shop, yeah absolutely, but we have a fantastic team of volunteers down there. We have 20 volunteers who each do um, three hours from Monday to Saturday from 11am until 5pm. So the shop is open six days a week 
all through the year. And run entirely by these great group of volunteers. Run entirely by volunteers, yeah, absolutely. And what difference will this larger premises that you opened last week, what difference is that going to make? Well, I was down there last Friday and honestly, it's like a boutique. (laughs) Um, It really is. Like, it really is. And people have compared it to the charity shops of London, which are very much so in the boutique style. Like, when you go in the door, there's a lovely railing, um, a lovely circular railing, and there's lovely shelving either side. And then in the back area, there's a, book section um, and a little seating area down low for kids to sit down and then you also have a vintage section uh, one of the volunteers travelled to London to her sister who had a load of vintage, a lot of vintage clothes from the 70s with you know designers like Biba and that type of thing who would be very well known along the, the vintage circuit you know? Yeah they're all in yeah, vogue, yeah, anything, anything vintage is, vintage, yeah, yeah. And I was listening with interest to your ladies earlier who were saying that they had, uh, you know, unwanted um, presents that yeah. they had got. And we would be absolutely delighted to take those. We yeah. would, you know, we would find great use for those. Even last week there was um, a cutlery set. And I'm sure lots of people have cutlery sets. And that's sold for €25, Euro, yeah. you know, which is which is great for us. And uh, in a charity shop like that, all the proceeds go back into Bucon Banner, so it's yeah. all profit. It's all absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, which, since they opened, they have made an absolutely significant contribution and they contribute an eighth of our running costs. Each That's year. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And people can donate to the directly to the charity shop in Scotland, I imagine, they can, can they? can also drop items to our to Brucon and Bannis and Cardinal Way Wilton as well. Yeah. And then, you know, we have people who are travelling up and down and they deliver the items down as brilliant, well. Brilliant, brilliant. So we're absolutely delighted with the new shop. Um, there was so many people helped out. Um, there was Barnets across the way in Skull. They opened up a new shop on Saturday, but they totally refurbished and they gave all the fixtures and fittings from their old shop. Brilliant. So it does, it looks absolutely absolutely like a boutique shop it's fantastic and you're on Main Street it's on the Main Street just across from the Super Value on okay, the Main people, Street people prime yeah. now for those who have never needed the services of Brew Columbanus um, Anne-Marie yeah. explain what you do we provide home from home accommodation to the relatives of seriously ill patients in Cork hospitals and the hospice so each day families in need of accommodation are referred to Brew by the staff nurses on the various on the wards in the various hospitals throughout Cork from the Mercy, the CUH, the CUMH and the Bonds and indeed the hospice as well. And there's no charge? No, there's no charge. Um, We rely totally on donations and fundraising initiatives to cover the running costs. And the house here, it's absolutely beautiful. It's, I suppose it's like a four-star hotel. Um, There's a shared kitchen. There's a beautiful atrium area. And then guests have their own private room. We have 26 rooms. 22 of which have a double and a single bed and then we have four larger family rooms which have a double and a single bed and a separate annex for larger families. How busy are you? Absolutely full. Absolutely full. And today we had to turn away five families who needed accommodation. That's that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. It is, it and is. and the one thing I love about Brew Columbanus, you know, like the shared kitchen and, and the atrium yes. that you talk about. Yes. Families support each other, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do, absolutely. Families support each other, particularly in the mornings. You see families, you know, inquiring after the other person's patient and how are you getting on. You know, it's it's a great support. And many people have made friends here that they've, you know, that they've kept in touch with for years, for years later, you know. And you put no limit on the length of time a person can stay with you? No, um, I suppose it is reviewed, uh, it would be reviewed 
um, from time to time. Just, you know, I suppose, but we don't. No, we don't no. put any limit on no. time. No, no, no nobody's. Um, nobody and it takes ever. away the, the, the stress of trying to find accommodation, trying to be near a hospital, trying to see can I afford to pay for accommodation yeah, and just, you know, and that whole thing of driving home at the, in the in an evening time to go, you know, back into West Cork to North Cork, wherever yeah, somebody's living. Yeah. Like I drove to Skull on Friday, it was an hour and 45 minutes yeah. from Brew. I mean, if you were doing that down and up and then to be close, like one of the guests recently I spoke with her and she said just to be able to go over in the morning to meet with the doctors when they're doing their rounds because the doctors, they, they obviously don't have time to wait an hour and a half for yeah. a family member to travel up from West Cork or Kerry to to meet with them. You know, they, you know, they do their rounds in the morning and that's when the families need to be there. So that's why it's so important for the families to be able to walk across the road within a couple of minutes. And that fear that you get a call in the middle of the night yeah. and you'd have that yeah. journey to yeah. make. Yeah, yeah it's exactly, just. Yeah. But it's it's. I'm I'm always saying it, um, Anne Maria. You're one of those services that unless you need. You don't call, hear about us yeah. unless it's needed. Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm, yeah. I I love to sing your praises because Great. you, you, so you helped it. out very, very close friends of mine who, and we have nothing, nothing but praise uh, from Blue so Colin Bannis. You're, you're, you're just amazing. But so when you say it to other people, they go, who? Oh, oh. yeah, you, you know, <laughs> we need to shout more about Blue Colin Bannis. Yeah. So here's a way people can help the charity shop in Absolutely. Skull. Absolutely. And I suppose that's the charity shop in Skull does provide an excellent um, platform for people to know about us. Yeah. You know, it's a great advertising tool in one sense as well, you know, because I don't think there's anybody now in along the Mizzen Peninsula that doesn't know about Brookhull and Bannis, yeah. which is which is important as well. Well done, you know? well done. Well, yeah. con- continue with your great work thank you um, so and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Great, thank Good you. Afternoon, Good afternoon Bye-bye, bye-bye. bye-bye. Um, Anne-Maria O'Connor, fundraising manager with Brew Colin Bannis. If you're in and around Skull, please pop into their charity shop. You might have items to donate. You might like to buy. I like this idea of a dedicated vintage designer uh, section and if you come across any fundraising for Blue Columbanus, please, please be generous. They are and it's just, it's an amazing charity. Uh, it really is. I can see some questions coming in for Peter. Keep those coming. He joins us in a couple of minutes. I can also see wedding comments coming in. Uh, Texter says, I have a lovely crinoline lady tea set. Oh yeah, I can just, I can picture it almost a little tea set and the lady has a little crinoline dress on her. I'm, I'm imagining that's what it is. It belonged to my late parents. They got married 71 years ago. I treasure that uh, tea set. What a lovely, lovely thing uh, to have. Someone says, I give 200 euro as a present for a wedding, but I'll always put in a small gift, like a holy water font. Wow. How many houses do you go into that put, that have holy water fonts? today. But there's somebody doing it and I suppose if you give someone a holy water font then they may decide uh, to uh, put it up. Hi Patricia, my mum got married 68 years ago and she's 91 now and still with us, lives at home and to this day I use her wedding china side plates for her meals. She also has blue glass dessert bowls 
she still gives out to me to mind them while I'm using them. And they're only kept if somebody calls. So wedding gifts are still very sentimental in our house and they're absolutely priceless. Yeah. They are indeed, Norma. They are. They are. And thank you. A lot of people sharing nice memories uh, like that. And thank you for sharing them with us. OK, need to take a break and we'll bring uh, Peter Dowd along to answer your gardening questions. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And just a final point, just on Brew Column uh, Banis. Uh, this sums up what a lot of listeners who have used the services of Brew Column Banis. Uh, Trish, we'll, we, we will be eternally grateful to Brew Column Banis. We spent three weeks there when we had a family member in ICU near death. I couldn't drive the hour it would have taken each day to get me to and from the hospital. I was stressed beyond belief. I don't, I don't, I didn't know. I didn't know of Brew Columbanus until we needed them. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was making earlier as well. We will fundraise uh, for them, says a texter. Thank you for that. OK, Peter Dowdle, uh, theirishgardener.com, uh, joining us on what is a cold day, but it certainly has brightened up. Good afternoon to you, Peter. What is it they say about April? Isn't, isn't April the month where it comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb? Yeah, and it certainly is. It's just bitterly cold, isn't it? Well, God, it's like a different country to when we were talking last week and the week before. We were talking about the lovely warm weather and the blue skies and high temperature. And then it's, as you say, bitingly cold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this day last week, we were predicting and we got it 17 degrees for, for the Thursday. And it was. I was in my garden last Thursday and it was 17 degrees. It was glorious. Anyway, it will come back to us. It will come back. It it's will, just... but the, this is the, the, and I have no doubt there'll be a few questions about this. This is the risk at this time of the year that we run away with ourselves on weeks like last week. We start, I see summer bedding arriving in garden centres and it's, it's nuts. It's crazy, guys. You know, it's, it, there's no, you couldn't even begin to think about putting out your summer bedding yet. But you run away with yourself with enthusiasm last week and then this week it goes cold. And, you know, there is a risk by doing things like that too early. Yeah, you'll, you'll lose some of the stuff you planted if you did plant last week. You will, absolutely. Yeah. The summer bedding. Your your perennials and shrubs and things like that and your herbs, all of that stuff is all perfect because they'll tolerate it, no problem. But you have to remember if you see summer bedding in the garden centres like geraniums and petunias, etc., um, they've been grown under glass, they've been grown under cover, so don't plant them out yet. Buy them by all means before they run out, but, but keep them protected at home. Okay, Mill Street listener. Hi, uh, Patricia. Could you please ask Peter the name of the product that turns moss to dust on lawns? Lawn gold. Lawn gold is what I'm talking about. It's, it's, uh, it, it works in the back-to-basics principle by, by creating the optimum pH for grass growth. Uh, and moss can't tolerate that. And also moss will, moss will colonise an area if the lawn is under stress. So using something like lawn gold will feed it with the right nutrients to keep it from getting stressed and keep moss at bay. But then, as she says, the best bit of all, if you like, it doesn't turn the moss black or orange. It just turns it to dust. So lawn gold is good. Uh, great, great product. Hi, uh, Peter. I got a lovely chrysanthemum for Mother's Day, but the leaves are starting to wither. I have it in the porch. Should I water it? Although it doesn't seem dry. Probably not dry. And I, without seeing it, I couldn't say for sure because there's so many different types of chrysanthemum. But uh, it, it, chrysanthemums are herbaceous, which means they will die back. I'm, I'm saying here now for the winter, obviously we're going into spring, but herbaceous plants will die back when they're off season, if you like. That chrysanthemum was more than likely, if you like, tricked into thinking it was spring so that it would flower for Christmas. I, I won't bore you too much with the details, but um, what it is doing now is dying back for 
because it thinks it's winter, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so it will come on again. It's not a watering issue. It's totally natural. Uh, it will need to stay indoors. Most likely it's a, it's a houseplant type, an indoor type of croissant. Uh, those, though many of them are outdoors, obviously. Um, but I imagine this is an indoor type. You'll need to keep it indoors. So in a, in a gas house or conservatory or polytunnel, if you have anything like that, keep it protected and it'll start emerging again in a few months' time. Hi, a question for us from Helen. Hi, uh, Peter. My rhubarb has very short stalks. What can I add to increase the size and can I divide it in the autumn? It's growing about five or six years. I'd say that's the problem, actually, that it hasn't been divided. So you do, I would normally recommend doing it kind of every three years. So five or six, it's just getting congested. The, the, the crowns are getting congested. So I would divide it this autumn, yes. So lift it out of the ground kind of October time, uh, Split it into a few different stools and then then replant it. In terms of what you can do now, eh, watering and it has been quite dry up to the, up to the last couple of days. Water would be one of the things that you would use to to plump it up and to elongate the stems. Uh, a good rich feed, something like the Nature Safe Liquid Feed, which is a, a totally organic plant based feed. So there's no animal byproducts in it. Uh, you know because often I'd recommend farmyard manure and stuff like this. But again, when we're eating, when it's something that we're going to be eating, maybe, uh, and obviously there's a, a, a growing number of us are vegans and more concerned about animal byproducts in our food. So that nature's safe range of plant food is totally plant-based and totally organic. That would be a good thing to add to the rhubarb as well, because it'll give it all the nutrients it needs. That and water, but I'm, uh, it'll do a certain amount of good now, but the best thing you can do for it is lift it in the autumn and divide it. How will, says another texture, how will onion sets planted on March the 20th manage to survive in the ground through these Arctic conditions? No problems. No problem Will they be okay? Yeah, and if the Arctic was this warm, we'd be all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's, not, um, it's not that cold. It won't affect the onions at all. Okay, they're fine. fine. Uh, Jimmy and Enniskeen, could Peter please advise what type of evergreen hedging to grow beside a low roadside ditch? We're in a country area. The hedge is for safety purposes to keep young kids away from a busy road. It's west-facing. Okay, well, there's several... There's, there's several varieties of species rather that you could plant as a hedge there. You're what, what's called the common laurel, which is what we all know as laurel hedging. It will do there and it's the quickest growing hedge of all really. Uh, so if you get to, you know, you can get it at whatever height you want day one uh, but if you plant it small it'll grow in no time as well. So that's a very good hedge. Uh, it's not my favourite hedge just because it's so vigorous and it's high maintenance as well um, and it's not, you know, because it's so vigorous it kind of puts out light and everything underneath it so it tends to take over an area but it will, as the fella says do what it says in the tin, it will give you an evergreen wall quickly. Then you have Portuguese laurel which is which is similar in name only, it doesn't look anything like the, the common laurel but it's, um, it's a slower growing, more compact evergreen hedge, very tidy and nice evergreen hedge. Another one that that you could look at it's a mouthful of a name but it's one of my favourite of all the evergreen ones and it's Eliagnus uh, as I say a bit of a mouthful of a name don't worry too much about remembering or writing down all the names call to the garden centre your local garden centre and they'll show you so Eliagnus is the, the, would be my favourite of all of them I think in terms of an evergreen but here's one to think about uh, in terms of safety particularly if it's to keep children uh, safe you could look at planting pyracantha, a pyracantha hedge. Now, anybody who's listening going, who knows pyracantha, saying, does Peter not like children? But the opposite. <laughs> I, love, I love, love children. But but uh, the reason I say that is because pyracantha is very, very thorny and it's yeah. very, you know, a child would really hurt themselves. But that's why I'm doing it. I'd It'll keep them well away that. from it, yeah. It'll keep well away from the road, yeah. yeah. So pyracantha would be point. very thorny, evergreen, great for the pollinators because it flowers, gives you berries for the birds. 
fabulous plant biodiversity wise and it, it, it's a great the police in the UK I don't even know about here but certainly in the UK the police recommend it as a security hedge mm. and I know some companies in the UK they, the insurance companies they reduce your premium if you have it growing as a security hedge so that's how good it is Okay gardening question for Peter please uh, I I never dead headed my hydrangeas last year when is the be- what is the best way to do it now? My beautiful, pure white hydrangea started turning pinkish last summer after many years. Is it possible to reclaim the white colour? Um, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult enough one to answer without seeing it. And the reason I say that is because there are so many different types, not even varieties, but different types of hydrangeas. So if it's like you've got what we normally refer to as the hydrangeas, the the, the mop heads and the lace cap hydrangeas. Whites normally aren't pH sensitive. So what that means is, depending on the pH of your soil, you'll either have a blue or a pink hydrangea. Mm. But what, white should be white regardless. If it's going pink, then it probably is a bit limey. Maybe adding a small bit of aluminium sulfate to the soil would help, but I wouldn't put too much on. Um, but the, the, the other type of hydrangea, you have what's called hydrangea paniculata. Now, the paniculata hybrids are, uh, are things like um, oh, limelight and polar bear and things like this and they are big white conical flowers real show off white flowers they're stunners but the flowers naturally go white or go pink as the season progresses into late autumn winter they naturally go take on those autumnal colours so it might just be that one and need no work at all so not answering that bit 100% satisfactorily for her. Uh, in terms of color, how do you deadhead at this time of the year, well, that's very straightforward. That's exactly as you would have done it earlier in the year. Disregard the fact that you're beginning to see leaf on it. Just cut it back. You're deadheading. You're not pruning at this time of the year. You're not giving it a hard prune. You're just taking the deadheads off. So uh, with your secretaries, each deadhead travels travel down the stem until you meet a node, so until you meet a leaf bud, cut it just above the leaf bud, and that's it. There's no mystery no, no, to it at all. Away you go. And yeah. is lawn gold preferable to Mobacter for moss? I think I would prefer it as a product. I remember somebody asked a question last week with another product. I, I don't, as I said to you last week, I, I'm not going to, to say one brand is better than the other, but I certainly think long gold is the best of what's out there. Okay. Uh, hi, Peter. I sprayed apple trees with Bordeaux mixture last week. Will I need to do it again? No, <clears throat> excuse me. Bordeaux mixture, which is copper sulfate, Trish, is, um, is is licensed for use in organic gardening and organic agriculture, but the term is under guidance. So what that means is you get guidance from the relevant governing authority. In this case, it would be the Irish Organic Association. And really what the, the, the advice they will give you is that you can use copper sulfate, but only once, maximum twice in the year. So you've done it at the right time. You've treated the apple trees of what we call bud burst, which is just as the leaves are emerging out of the, the, the dormant stems, which is the right time to get it on. The reason you're putting it on is to prevent things like apple scab, uh, leaf spot, all these kind of fungal things, mildew, grey mould, botrytis, all those. Uh, prevention is much better than cure with these diseases and now is the time to get that copper sulphate on. So note this, this, in a long-winded way, I'm answering the question that no, this should be once at this time of the year should be enough for it. Eddie on the Model Farm Road, what time of the year should I divide the common Irish lily, is what he's calling it, the ones that come out in April or May? When do you divide the bulb? I'm guessing by that he means the, the thing I'm often called Saint Anthony's Saint Anthony's lily, lily, yeah, yeah. Lily, yeah. Um, you would do it when it's died back, really. So the, depending on each each one that you're looking at, it'd probably be early autumn, early to mid autumn would be when you you would cut them back and kind of start, or dig them up and divide them. September October would would be the time I would look at doing that. 
Mary says, hi Patricia, I would like to thank you so much for recommending the company Back to Black. They did a fantastic job on our tarmac just before our daughter's wedding. We were delighted. Oh, I remember. I think they were on yeah. there a few weeks ago. Yes, yeah. I'm glad that worked out. Yeah, yeah. great company. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Mary in uh, Charleville, I have climbing roses around an arch. There are bulbs blooming on it now, but is it to cut them? I'm not is it too late to cut Too late to cut, probably, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, I would say to give it a, 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 most roses would be done by the end of February, so we're, we're a good bit too late now. So I would say it's too late to give it a hard cut back. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but certainly if it's getting a bit untidy or scraggly, you could trim away, cut it back lightly by all means. Don't worry about cutting off a few flower buds, they'll produce more. Okay, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Are you anything up to, uh, what are you up to this week that you want to give a mention to? This Sunday, uh, I'm up in the northeast, up in Sligo, the homeland store in Sligo. So if anybody knows anybody in Sligo or if anybody's travelling up for the weekend, we'd love to see you. That's the the homeland garden event in Sligo on Sunday. And it's the following Saturday then, it's when I'm back in Cork at the the Cope Foundation Garden Centre, Beach Hill and Montanati for their Flowers of Hope campaign. That's Saturday the 13th. There, the Saturday week. Okay, yeah. we'll remind us of that next week. Have a lovely week. Thanks for that. I do. Thanks and thanks for, uh, for joining us. That is uh, Peter Dowdle from the IrishGardener.com. Uh, I've been asked to mention that Butterfield and Liscarroll Parish are organising a youth mass for Saturday, the 6th of April. It will be celebrated by the Community of the Home of the Mother, which is a new religious group based in Mallow, consisting of two priests and two brothers, and they specialise in youth ministry. The Pastoral Council invites all the youth of the parish. Uh, to get involved and they look forward to seeing a lot of young people because it's going to be a very joyous occasion and that comes in from Peggy and that Mass is on she sent a separate text because she forgot to put the time at the Mass the Mass is on at 6.30 on this Saturday that's Butterfant and Liz Griffin uh, Parish okay thank you for that uh, Peggy and somebody says I've just been to a filling station this morning and the echo has gone up by 10 cent and petrol and diesel has gone up by one cent from today so everything is going up okay that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing and thank you to everybody who contacted the show today and our apologies the phone lines were very busy so our apologies if we didn't get to all the calls. Uh, we will talk to you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.